Good evening, everyone. I'm Pastor Armour of the Church of God, 1901 East 66th Street, Cleveland, Ohio. This is the Wednesday night Bible study for our church, and I'd like to welcome you to our weekly study. I'd like to open up with a brief word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come before you this evening, Lord, we worship and adore you. We love you. We honor you. We declare your greatness, Lord. We acknowledge that you are the God of our salvation, that you are worthy of all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. You are our life. We acknowledge tonight that we are only saved by your grace through faith and not of works. You are our peace and our comfort, our guide, Heavenly Father, you are our life, and we acknowledge your authority and lordship over our life. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us. We desire, Lord, to live a life that brings honor to your name, and that is pleasing to your sight. As we turn to your written word, we ask that you would help us to open our hearts, to open our minds. Help us, Heavenly Father, to settle ourselves, to quiet our spirit, to block out all distractions so that we can hear and receive your divine instructions. And we ask these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue this evening with our current study titled The Church Family. For those of you that have been with us, know that we have been delving into this subject now for several weeks as we strive to go to the word of God and to hear what God says about the church family, because we are family. We have used as our launching point for this series, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 from the King James Version, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. According to the word of God, he is the creator, the designer, and the overseer of his church. And it is his church. Those who have been called out which is what church means, those who have been called out and away from a life of sin and called into fellowship with God are also called in and adopted into the family of God. It does not matter where you came from. In our study, we have said, spiritually speaking, we all came from the same place. We all came from a life of sin and bondage and brokenness. And we all have arrived at the same place, filled with his spirit, forgiven, pardoned of our sins, and then filled with the same Holy Spirit. And all of us have the same Heavenly Father. Everyone who responded to the call, and it does not matter where you were and how you were living, doesn't matter what you were doing. Once you heard and responded to the call, humbled yourself, 
and accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, repented of your sin and committed yourself to serving him, you were brought into the family of God. In our study, we have gone to the book, the book of God, the word of God, to see what God himself says about our family. We see that it is his church and that he and he alone is in church in charge of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. We went back all the way to the church in its infancy when it was first created and established. We looked at what did God do and how did he do it? And how did he call them out of a life of sin? Now he called them into his marvelous life and how he called them together as a family. In his word, God shows us his desire and his design for his family. And we have established that nothing has changed from those first instructions, from those very first individuals that formed the first church, that nothing has changed, though that was centuries ago. The very same work that he did and his desire for the church then, the design for the church then, is the same thing today. And we have tried to emphasize that in a world that seems to think even in a church culture, that because times have changed, conditions have changed, people has changed, the culture has changed, that we must change as a church. But we have shown that God has not changed and that what he said for them then, he says for us today. He has given us a template and a model for which we are to follow and to line ourselves up with. We have looked at scriptures that clearly give us a picture of what his church and the members of the church are supposed to be. One scripture says in Ephesians, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We have emphasized that over and over as we look into the scriptures and look at God's instructions for the church. We have pointed out that as a family, God's given us two of his top commandments. We are birthed into the family, given the same instruction that we are to love God more than anything in this world, more than life itself, and that we are to love one another as Christ loved us. Those same exact instructions are the instructions for the church today. A local body of believers united in Christ the same goals, same desires, the same interests, striving to do 
what God has left us here to do. Our primary objective we find in the scriptures is for all of us to come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ, not immature, not tossed about with every wind of doctrine, not living careless, reckless lives, but sober lives, dedicated, consecrated, focused on living for the Lord. In Philippians 1, we have read where Paul said, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ, a surrendered life. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. This is what God created. And this is the purpose and the function of his church. That is what the called out ones are supposed to be and supposed to do. So the first part of this particular study has focused on God's desire and God's design for what the church is supposed to be. In our last lesson, we shifted gears from what the church is supposed to be, we have shifted from the supposed to be perspective to the what is perspective. In other words, we have delved into what God's church is supposed to be, and we saw it, and it's incredible, and it's beautiful. And it is anointed. Now we want to look at it from the perspective of, okay, okay. What are we now as a church? What is the as is condition of the church? It is extremely important that we seriously study this and look at this. Because aside from all that we have learned and seen in the word of God about what God says his church is, how his church is to function, and the power and the anointing and the fitting together perfectly as family. Aside from that, the real issue is how do we see the church? The picture that God paints of his church then and now and our personal experience, is that what we see? What we have to explore is how do we see the church? God paints a picture. He tells a story. But is that the picture that we see? When it gets down to it, it really comes down to how we see the church. 
Because if we don't see the picture God created from our life experience in real terms, if we don't see what God describes, there is a problem. There is a problem. Because if we don't see it, if our life experience is painting a different picture, then it's going to be hard to believe. Oh, we can look at the words. Oh, yeah, amen. That's right. It's right in the scriptures, black and white. We see that. We acknowledge that. But if our life experience is painting a different picture, it's going to be hard to conceive and to believe and to embrace the picture that God paints. Many people from within the church have a hard time seeing the church. I'm talking about in real terms. For what the church, for what God created the church to be. They don't see it. And because they don't see it, they have a hard time believing it. For example, here's what I mean. Paul said he makes the whole body fit together perfectly, as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. People say, man, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. That's beautiful. That's incredible. But in real terms, based on their experience, Many people in the church, that's not what they see. Because their life experience paints a different picture. They have a hard time seeing the picture that God painted. I'm talking about in real terms. And if they can't see it, then they don't really fully believe it. What it ultimately comes down to is what each of us as members of the family, what we believe the church to be, because what we believe the church is, is how we're going to approach the church. If we don't believe it, then our whole approach to church is gonna be off. And we're gonna miss something great. And we're going to miss out. And we will suffer because of it, believe it or not. Many people in the church don't see what a great thing God did when he created the church. Our church experience is, is mixed. Whole lot of good, right? No mistake about it. A lot of love, a lot of joy, a lot of peace, a lot of victory. But then there is the other stuff that we deal with, that we face, that we go through, the unpleasant stuff that we go through. Some people have been hurt in the church, in the church family. For many people, church people, they struggle with church. They don't understand how what, what they read in the scripture of what God created and designed. 
They don't see, they can't reconcile where they go and what they do with what they see in the scripture. And they really, really struggle with it. And that's one reason why some people miss church as often as they do, because they don't see it. They have a hard time embracing it. So what has happened? What has happened that even in the church, family members in the church struggle with the church? Gave an example, an analogy, actually. I'm not going to go through it all now for the sake of time. Of a team building a house, a great work, a beautiful house, a mansion, with accommodations for every team member. Big, large, comfortable, wonderful. With each team member having an assigned task. Plumbers, electricians, designers, um, carpenters, you, you name it. whatever is necessary to do this great work. And we have instructions on how to do it. And we know what we're supposed to do. And I ask the question, how well is that gonna go if some people don't show up? How, how well does that work if the carpenter decides he don't wanna be the carpenter, he wants to be the electrician? And what if the person responsible for bringing the material brings the wrong material or only brings part of the material. And now the carpenter is frustrated because he don't have what he needs. And when someone's supposed to show up and it's their time to pick up their tools and they don't show up and other people got to try to figure it out and do the best they can. I use that as analogy because in many ways that is what has happened with the church. The scripture said, unless the Lord build a house. See, God has called us to a task, and it's a great task. It is an honored task, and he's given us instructions. But unfortunately, in real terms, not everybody's showing up for work and bringing their tools. Not everybody is fully devoted to what God has assigned them to. Not everybody understands, and not everybody is on board the way they need to. And so what should be an incredible wonderful, fulfilling experience now becomes point of contention, a struggle and difficulty. And the work is not moving like the work should be going. The building's not going up the way the building should be going up. Folks are not enjoying the work the way they are supposed to enjoy the work. But as I said last week, be of good cheer because God has in his wisdom he foresaw all of this, and right in his instructions, he gave us how to deal with difficulties on the job and how to deal with them so successfully that you don't have to become overwhelmed and discouraged and disappointed. That in the midst of the work not progressing the way it's supposed to, the way you want it to, you can have peace, you can have joy you can have victory. I'd like to use a section of scripture now just as an example of what goes on in the as is church. Call your attention to a scripture in Philippians, the fourth chapter in the first verse to the third 
in the New Living Translation. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and I long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and my crown. I receive for my work. Now I appeal to Erodia and Sintichi. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women. For well, they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Here we find Paul writing to the church in Philippi. And the book of Philippi is, is really one of the most endearing of all the letters Paul wrote. You can feel his heart. He had a real closeness with the church in Philippi. They had blessed him and helped him on more than one occasion. And he really, really had a strong love for them. There are so many wonderful instructions that Paul gave them. And we know that those instructions were not limited to the church in Philippi, that God is speaking to you and I today. Things that we need to know, how we live for the Lord and our dedication and consecration and focus before the Lord. But right in the middle of this beautiful, loving, important letter, he includes this. I appeal to Erodia and Sintichi, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Apparently there was a disagreement between two of these sisters in the church. It doesn't seem to be a huge blow up or a big deal. But all that we know that there was a disagreement. Let's look at this for just a minute. First of all, Paul gives us the names of these two women of God, Erodia and Sentichi. The scriptures doesn't tell us the nature of the disagreement between them, but it is included. The information apparently was included in the report that Paul received, he wrote this letter in Rome and he was carried a report on how the church is doing. Apparently this disagreement between these two women was a part of that report, which is why he addressed it in this letter. Also, from what the scripture tells us, Paul saw these two women as true women of God. In other letters, we can see where he identified individuals as a challenge, as a problem. He called them out. But not so with these two women. He saw them as women of God. He said they belong to the Lord. Now, let's pause right there for a second. He tells them to settle this agreement 
and he tells them why they need to get to get down to business. He said, because you belong to the Lord. That's reason number one to get this resolved. It is possible, and we do know this from life experience, that sometimes you can have two individuals in the family of God who are stuck and have a disagreement. But because they have a disagreement, it has gone beyond just them, and it is impacting other members of the family. Again, I, I believe you know what I'm talking about. Other people are talking about it. Now it is becoming a distraction and a hindrance. Other people are aligning up with this one or with this one. They're making alliances. N now, now we got a problem. We don't know all of that, but many times, that's how a disagreement can actually grow to become between two people. And now it can grow to other people involved. And now it is impacting the work on the house and the workers now are not working together. Paul tells them, because you belong to the Lord, you may be upset, women of God. Your feelings may be hurt. You may feel like, hey, I've been wronged. You may feel like I'm right. She's wrong. And you've heard me mention from time to time when we think we're right, we, we can be a little, we can be a handful. But Paul says you belong to the Lord. In other words, you are not your own. I know your feelings got you right now, but let me, let me bring you back to yourself. You are not your own. You belong to God. And aside from however you may feel wronged or that you are in the right, or that you're being misunderstood, or that the issue is critical. Paul says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's get our perspective right. You belong to the Lord. Your life belongs to the Lord. Paul considered both of these to be true women of God. In fact, Paul said this about them. He said, they worked hard with me and telling others about the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are written in the book of life. These two women were dedicated saints of God. They worked hard. Paul is testifying on their behalf. They worked hard with Paul and others spread the word of God. Paul even said their names were in the book of life. This tells us about how they were living. And yet we find right in this letter, this personal issue and instructions right there, 
exposed. Something had come up, something had been done, something maybe had been said that caused a rift between them. And we got two dedicated women of God in the same church at odds with each other. Now, just based on this one real life situation that we find tucked into one letter, one book among the 66 books of the Bible, what can we learn from this about the family of God, about the as is church? There will be times when we will disagree about things. No, that's not a great revelation. I know that's not new news. But sometimes when it's you, we forget that. It's like we are totally unaware. When you observe something like this among the family, it is why some people can't understand and get discouraged and frustrated and disappointed because things like this do happen. We just, we are reading about a real life situation. Some people look at things like this and they say, that's why I don't even wanna go. Both can't get along. That's why I don't even want to go. I don't want to be bothered. That's what's wrong with the church today. Some people feel that way. And then they justify not bringing their tools to work and doing what they're supposed to do. But that is completely the wrong way to respond to an issue like this. I asked the question, why would God have led Paul to put this in this very particular specific issue in the letter to begin with? I mean, when you read Philippians, it's so beautiful. There's so many good words, so much, so much to learn there. Paul is writing under the inspiration, under the anointing of God. Why would God drop this in his spirit to put this in the letter? Surely they needed to resolve it. Nothing wrong with Paul addressing it. But God knew this letter was going to go way beyond just the church in Philippi. Paul could have given verbal instructions. He put it in a letter. The letter was preserved. And the letter was handed down for generations right up to this present time for the church family today to read about an issue involving one church and two people centuries ago. Why would he do that? Why would this, why would this be in that letter? I mean, if you think about it, it doesn't make the church look especially good. These are two good women. Come on now. What y'all doing? Why would God expose them, put them out on front street 
for all of us to read. Their names are attached to this. Here's the answer to that. Here's my answer to that. Romans 15, 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. This in the letter was not a mistake. It was not something that was supposed to be erased after they read it. It wasn't just something for them. God is teaching us something about our family. He's using this as a teachable moment for churches, thousands of churches down through the generations. We miss so much when we read the word. We just read it and roll. We don't take sufficient time to ask ourselves, what is God trying to tell me? What is he trying to teach me? What is God trying to show me in the church family? There will be issues, even among devoted people of God. Isn't that why God shared this with us? He didn't hide it. He showed it to us. Somehow, when it happens to us in our church family, we seem to forget that these things actually are part of the process, part of the family. We don't like it. It's unpleasant, which didn't have to happen, but it's part of the house building process. We forget, and sometimes we let it get the better of us. We get so irritated and frustrated, and we do form alliances and take sides. We let the work get taken off course because there's an issue with two people. It is not uncommon for all people who are truly saved with one spirit, one desire, based on one desire, to disagree, to have disagreements. Matter of fact, it would be uncommon if we didn't. We will talk about that particular point later on. Far too often, the important lessons that are placed in God's word teach us very important lessons get overlooked. And when we overlook the lessons, when we overlook these things, we miss the lesson. And when we miss the lesson, when things do pop up and happen to us and with us, we're not prepared to deal with it in the right way. This story is not just about them back there. 
it tells us something about us right here. One of the most important lessons that we need to learn from this, and I'm about done for tonight, is even among people who love the Lord, working for the Lord, dedicated to the Lord, to the work of God, people who are family, there will be issues in the family. We don't like it. We wish it wouldn't happen, but that is the reality. This one story demonstrates that. Now this is important because one of the problems in the church family One of the problems the church family is faced with today is that we have an unbiblical view of what the church family is. Let me say it again. One of the problems facing the church family is that we have an unbiblical view of the church family. Everything that we've gone over in the first stage of this series of lessons is that what's supposed to be perspective, God's desire reflected in his design. What the church is supposed to be, the purpose and function of the church. But all that takes time. It takes time and it takes growth. Many people have an unbiblical expectation of what the church is. I mean, saved people. It's rooted in a lack of knowledge of the scriptures. Some people have been given partially wrong descriptions of the church. Some have never, and I do mean never, taken the time or put forth the effort to read and learn what is the called out ones? What is the church? What is it like? And how does it function? I'm talking about members of the family who have never taken the time and put forth the effort to learn what the family is going to be like. They got opinions, but they don't really know what God has already showed us. Because they don't know when the unpleasant and the hurtful things go on in the church, they get hurt or they get mad or they get confused. Some leave in search of the perfect church and they will never find it. It is an accurate analogy to say that the church is a spiritual hospital. Let me read these words again. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, talking about the Lord. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Notice these words, as each part does its own special work. 
We all have work to do. And what is the end result of what that work is supposed to do? To help each part grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing full of love. This truly is a spiritual hospital. And in a hospital, you'll find people with various, in various degrees of health. Some with runny noses, some with soreness and stiffness in their joints, others with more serious problems. There's work that needs to be done on me and on you with all of us. And we're supposed to play a part, a very, a very important part in helping each other get healthy. And in this spiritual hospital, we are supposed to grow full of love. Many people think the church is supposed to be full of people who are saved. And that means they're all supposed to be sweet and kind and loving and treat each other right and talk to each other right. And everybody is always doing everything they're supposed to be doing. And then when stuff happens, they, it doesn't line up with their unbiblical view of the church. They can't figure it out. This is a house of love. This is a house where safe people are. Not all of them, and we'll talk about that at some point. But it is a spiritual hospital where the goal is to get everybody spiritually healthy. Paul instructs these women of God. He says, I appeal to Erodia and Sympathy. Please, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. He doesn't take sides with either of them. He doesn't say here, he doesn't say here is the issue and I'm going to take this side of the issue and this issue, this is the right way to take this. He doesn't say that. He says, settle the issue because you belong to the Lord. Paul loved both of them. He had a real love for the whole church in Philippi. And he tells them with the apostolic authority invested in him, settle this. And this is an example of how we as a family, brothers and sisters in Christ, are supposed to work through our differences. And there are some specific scriptures that tell us how differences are supposed to be resolved. And we're not going to get into that right now. Bottom line is, Differences don't have to lead to breakups. They should lead to makeups. I use this case as a teachable moment for us to help to give us a proper biblical, pers biblical perspective and expectation of the church family that will help to reconcile the supposed to be perspective with the as is perspective. 
this may be a jolt for some of us to go public with the truth that there are problems in the family, in the church family. It may be uncomfortable for us to acknowledge that, but that is the as-is church. It may shock and surprise some, but you know who it does not shock or surprise? is God. Do you know that God knew all of this and more before he laid the foundation of the earth? Before he called the first sinner to repentance? Before he put the first called out ones together as a family? He knew there would be issues in the family. He has always known. God doesn't like ugliness in anyone. And he does not approve of the stuff that sometimes happens among the family. But he did know it would go on. And as I said, be of good cheer. Shouldn't be a discouragement. Shouldn't be a cause for alarm or great concern. God is wise enough to build right into his plan a way for all of us to work through all the issues and all the stuff. And to do so without destroying one another. To do so without us losing our joy and our peace. There will be difficulty and unpleasant. God was wise enough to give us the troubleshooting guide, as I said last week, on how to work through these things without losing your joy, leaving your tools at home and not going to work. We'll continue on our study. Let's close with a word of prayer. Gracious Lord, we just want to thank you for this privilege and this opportunity. Our hearts are open. Our hearts are anxious to hear and to learn. We thank you for these few words of scripture that are filled with so much important information. Help us to acknowledge this teachable moment that you gave us an example of an issue among two women of God, not just from an historical perspective that we might know what was going on in the church in Philippi, but that we might learn, that we might know how, that we might understand the as-is church, and that we can learn how to improve the condition of the as-is church and do so in love. We thank you for this lesson. We ask your blessings upon each hearer. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you. Trust the word of God was a blessing to you.